Hello everyone, welcome back to our podcast discussion uh, for this season on Hebrews. We're nearing the end of the book and we've had some great discussions and I think we've got another great discussion ahead of us. Uh, glad that you have chosen to spend some time with us. My name's Cameron. Yeah, g'day everybody, Ken here. And I'm Luke. And I'm Lachlan. I uh, I missed our last week's recording and I think I might have, I can't remember, missed the one before that. I've uh, I've had COVID and it's gone through our family gradually and I was the last to get it which means that I have the privilege of the longest quarantine period which I came out of today and um, I walked around the block which is amazing um, <laughs> I, uh, I did I did get to do the edit for last week's discussion and uh, I privilege very much enjoyed it yeah uh, well it was it was very fun doing it as a listener rather than a participant and um, and sort of receiving the flow of ideas in that way. And uh, I, I had two things that I wanted to chip in, um, both along the lines of the discussion that was generated by the verse admonishing people not to uh, not to fail to meet together, as uh, yes. some people are want to do, is what the verse says. Um, <clears throat> one of the comments uh, was, and I agreed with what you said, Luke, where you said that um, uh, it's very easy though it's very easy to feel excluded from a church because you you are different the truth is that the body is probably more diverse than than is acknowledged um <clears throat> i would i would like to add a sort of corollary onto that the sort of converse of that is that were you to find a church that genuinely was very like-minded almost certainly that has only been achieved by the expulsion or exclusion of certain members Mm. So if if you find a, a church where everyone just gets on and they just love meeting together all the time, without exception, then either consciously and explicitly or maybe subconsciously um, and implicitly, they have worked to exclude people from their, their body. I think of this in the context of um, evangelism. We, we want, obviously, people to join our church, but only after we have enculturated them through a lengthy Bible study period so that they know their place and don't rock the boat too much. Oh, yes. And uh, have I mentioned on this podcast what I think about that in the context of baptism? No. Yes, yes you have. How much of a sin it is to place obstacles between people and Christ? Yeah. Well, and uh, I'll tell you one reason why our, our churches are not twice as big. Because if they came, they would bring musical instruments we didn't like. They would insist on meeting at times of the day that we find inconvenient. They mm. would um, wear clothes that we are uncomfortable with. And uh, because we are fairly strict around these things, they just don't feel welcome. So mm. um, this brings me to the second point. And the second point is, it's all very well to say you should all meet together and not be like these people who neglect that. Uh, but supposing I was to say to the rest of you podcasters, I think it's very important that we meet regularly to record this podcast. And it suits me because I have COVID and I'm sleeping all day and I'm awake in the night anyway. Uh, it suits me to do this at about one o'clock in the morning. And I will I will sign on to the chat at one o'clock in the morning and I will sit and waiting. And I sincerely hope that none of you fail to meet together <laughs> and neglect your... <laughs> so... Um, you know, the failure to meet together is not just perpetrated by the people who are not meeting. 
It sometimes yes. is by the people who aren't. That's a, that's a very good way of making expressing other people. It, it is a collective failure, not a, an individual one. It's a collective failure. Yeah, hmm. and so it, it. There are some people who are not attending church, or because they're arrogant, or they feel self-sufficient, or because they're lazy. Hmm. All right, well then, maybe they should be admonished to come to church. Um, but there are some people who attend church, but perpetrate or perpetuate a- attitudes that mean other people don't feel welcome. Yeah. And they are failing. They are failing. We are all failing at various times, in various ways as churches, to ensure that people f- meet together as we ought. Uh, I'll, mm. I'll keep this story... Sorry, I'll keep this story anonymous um, completely. For a friend. But like. I... <laughs> well, no, this this one actually isn't, isn't about me. Um, but uh, I... I knew um, of of a an instance in which a a pastor who was very motivated to do the pastoral role of church planting, um, as opposed to just sort of church pruning, um, and uh, he 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 was a pastor that was in charge of multiple churches. Um, and he planted a, a new one, a group that met together regularly on Friday nights, I think. Um, and he, at one point, ended up very discouraged because he had to actively work to keep one of his other churches away from these church members because oh. of how aggressively this existing church was trying to get rid of these people that they didn't approve of. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the point exactly. Like, I was uh, reflecting on your observation that you'd experienced once, thankfully, in a foreign language, but a a sermon preached against general relativity. And uh, one example I would give, and this is where I uh, have felt excluded a little from our church, is uh, there are some people who have found in their immediate experience, by perhaps by inclination and by education, but they find the scientific process and the scientific method and participation in the scientific community to be something which has enriched their lives enormously and given them many extra reasons to praise God. And um, the uh, general level of scepticism expressed towards science, sort of in general within our church, makes me feel less welcome. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that your comments are great additions to last week's episode, Cam. So if, if anyone's listening to this that didn't listen to last week's episode, then certainly go and do that and 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 do it now with the uh, with the added perspective from what you've just said. I, I want to make one plug that's that's connected to the your second comment, um, and I don't claim any great deep insight here, other than a minor amount, because when my wife and I were first married, she worked as a church pastor for a few years. You were a I pastor's actually, wife. Like. I was a pastor's wife. That's right. Um, and and I received at one point the magazine for pastors' wives, um, which Shep- was good Shepherd reading. S. So, um, yeah, indeed. Did it have lots of tips on how to, how to play piano and run to school and <laughs> make right. Look, the comment that I was going to make was simply in this context of you know keep meeting together and and um, and the value of meeting together. Um, I know that obviously many pastors do do enjoy it. I, I think though we have to be aware in the way in our sorts of communities, the way we do church and pastoring in the Adventist Christian community, there are some pastors 
who don't find that particular that Sabbath morning church op- occasion of meeting together to be in any way uplifting. It's draining, um, and and I'm not saying it's up to up to us to solve this. I'm just saying that it's very very easy. Um, and I think sometimes even we here on the podcast occasionally fall into the trap of of um, thinking how much better pastors could do this or that. And I know that we we also have many pastor friends. That's fine. But I'm just commenting um, there there can be something terribly isolating about being the pastor in a in a yeah. congregation. Mm. Um, and in some perverse sense, even though they're probably meeting with the congregation more than anyone else, they're actually not genuinely meeting together. Uh, well, in a way that that I I read Hebrews to sort of be referring to that that meaningful connection. It, of it is a fact that pastors get moved around. You know, they will mm, come into yeah. a church community, and the church community will have certain yeah. expectations of them um, yeah. that that may be unfair or unrealistic, or just or just not a good match because that happens. Um, and and the pastor can feel very isolated in their church. So. Certainly, I, I don't have any criticism for anyone experiencing difficulty. Yeah, yeah. I saw a video by an interview of Rabbi Sachs, who died a year or so ago, but was the chief rabbi in England. And he once expressed the sort of frustration he, um, he experienced as chief rabbi. Yeah. Um, uh, in this way, he said, uh, it's true that the Lord is our shepherd, but no Jew was ever a sheep. <laughs> okay that's good <laughs> but well, one example lock what if i can share a positive example uh, when we were growing up there were some young parents including ours mm. who had uh the the problem that young parents often have that while everyone else was enjoying a delicious sabbath morning sleep in their bombastic five-year-old was waking them up at half past four in the morning and demanding bim for breakfast yes um, which was what I used to call for beans on toast is was bim. So um, and then by the time it gets to church time, the day is half over and they're a wreck. And certainly by the time you hit eleven o'clock, the kids are wanting to sleep. And now the church community could have said, ah, but you mustn't neglect to meet together. You know, some people want mm. to do. What they did instead is they started a church that started at eight o'clock. Yeah, early church. I remember. Early church, and then. And then there was church, and then there was Sabbath school, and then you went home. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's um, probably something. We were part of a larger church community, a larger congregation, and it may be that mm. there's a little bit more capacity or resource uh, just in terms of human um, mm. you know, logistics and organizational and stuff like this, and it may be harder in smaller communities. But yes, that's an example of, of things being done well. Look, as as valuable as this is, I'm desperate for us to get on to Hebrews 11 because I have a, I have a thing I want to rant about, but we we can't start ranting until we've actually had a bit of a how, look. How at the far chat. through does your rant start, Lock? Well, uh, <laughs> tell you what, don't tell um, us. We'll just start reading through it, and you just go when we get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll start us off then. <clears throat> Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command and that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. 
he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was, command, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I think there's enough there for us to start, isn't there? Um, yes, there is. I was I was sitting, holding my lips shut, uh, and I was going to wait till we got down to verse eleven. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, should we go to verse eleven? Well, I, I can I can keep going then. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. You really you want to wait till eleven? You're not going to jump in on that one. <laughs> I was very tempted too, but I'm I'm going it to be It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. All right, hang on. No, we've got to stop there. <laughs> Look, so I'll preface this by saying um, this is this is me partly just taking a little bit of a of a perverse perspective on this, just for the for the sake of trying to gen, trying to look at things from a new perspective. I accept that many of these people are. Um, foci of the old testament narrative and are presented as as heroes of faith but come on it, it's got to be revisionist doesn't it to say that by faith even sarah had a child because she believed that god would keep his promise i mean isn't one of the features of that story that sarah laughs laughs in a way that the that the angelic representatives of god interpret as being a lack of belief um this is this is rose-tinted glasses in the extreme and and if you if you want i can pick a few others apart Please. um well the <laughs> we'll give enoch a pass so that's good i don't think very many very many things are written about that but going back to abel we are told that god accepted abel's offering but but there's not a lot of detail in the story in genesis and and it simply seems to say that god liked abel's offering more um, it, it was by uh, faith the, that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. They just happen no, to have different vocations. No, no, no. But there is there is a difference there, and um, we often make a large amount of the fact that one of them brought a lamb and one of them brought fruit and whatever. Um, but what it says is because Abel, who's the one that Abel brings the lamb, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, what what it says is that he brings the best. Yeah, and that Cain brings some of his crops. Ah, okay. So there's all right. That that's not a difference in faith necessarily. Necessarily, that's a difference in deference. Mm. Like mm. both of them believed that God was real. Yeah, and and Cain asks God for protection later in the story. All right. Well, I'll I'll let you have Abel then, but I'm not going to let Abraham come past. So yeah. Abraham's given pretty glowing re review here, but but he he actually doesn't. If you go back and look at the story, he doesn't he doesn't do particularly well. He's told to leave his land and his family, but he takes Lot with him. Um, 
and that seems to be one of his relatives, and it doesn't seem to be super tightly within the the instructions by God. Um, he he freaks out multiple times. He lies about Sarah, his wife, being his sister instead, and it seems specifically that that's because of a kind of 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 weakness of of at least trust in God. Maybe maybe it's not faith. Look, what I'm trying to say here is simply. Hebrews 11 is famously the heroes of faith. Um, and and I feel a little bit as if some people are being put a little bit on pedestals here with a with a one-eyed view, a revisionist view of their of their actually um stories. Even the Noah one. I'm I'm personally wound up by the Noah one. By faith, by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. Well, firstly, is that even the right thing to do? That seems like a bit of a messed up one. And no, it's not by his faith. It was by his silence. Well, I, we do like I, to, I, to pick up on New Testament imagery that describes Noah preaching the apocalyptic message to his um, fellow countrysiders. But in Genesis, he doesn't. He just very quietly builds a boat and gets in it. And he fact, leaves everyone God's, else. <laughs> God's very clear. God is, it is very clear in the, in the account that the boat is for Noah and his family. I just find it fascinating that verse 7 seems to imply that if Noah had not had faith, the flood wouldn't have happened. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's an interesting reading. Look, so there we are. There's, There's my rant. And I guess the real question is, okay, what... Um, there's a couple of ways we can take this. One is I'm just I'm just angry without reason. These people are genuine heroes of faith. Um, the other one is to maybe say, okay, the author here is doing what has been done elsewhere in Hebrews up to this point, is taking a kind of broad strokes picture and is picking out people who are heroes of faith mainly because they're heroes of the narrative. They're prominent features of the narrative and they illustrate at times great faith. Um, but another another possible interpretation here is that great faith great examples of faith might mean something a little different from the somewhat simplistic picture that I grew up well, look, thinking. I was going to say, I, I, I have a positive interpretation that I, I, I feel paints the author of Hebrews 11 in a very good light for it, which is the understanding, as you say, that is, is, is more nuanced than perhaps uh, the conventional understanding of faith today, that heroes of faith didn't always have a lot of faith and made lots of mistakes. Nonetheless, they are heroes. Not because they were perfect, um, but but because ultimately, in the end, they they got there. (laughs) Mm. Mm. I I would... I I think that that's probably... I I personally find that quite helpful, actually, to to think that um, Um, there is laudable... yeah, if you think about the audience of this, you know, an audience mm-hmm. who, who grew up reading the Old Testament, they would know all of the flaws and mistakes of all of these characters. They would they would be they would be literate of you know in the sense of knowing knowing. So I you know if if the audience is listening to this telling of these people in that context. Maybe it is actually quite an encouraging thing, saying, "Hey, you're not perfect; they weren't either. Nonetheless, they're heroes of faith, and you can be too." Mm. There's a really interesting character lock in um, Les Mis, uh, not featured in the, the musical or the films very strongly, but is a character who is one of the f- university students that tries to instigate the rebellion 
against uh, what they see as well, what was a very um, harsh. So this is post French Revolution. It's one of the several revolutions that happened after then that never really got off the ground. Um, but this student is there because they are his friends. He doesn't believe in causes. He he is drunk most of the time during most of the meetings. Um, but he's he's a sort of a ringer, hanger on, ringer in. Um, and when the barricade is eventually stormed, he and the leader, who is a strongly principled young person, is standing there facing the guns um, of the soldiers. This guy um, leaps up and throws himself in front of the guns and is shot with his friend. And uh, it's a really interesting because the character never, no comment is made on it in the rest of the story. It's entirely sort of peripheral to the account. But um, I guess I guess what the, um, Victor Hugo was saying in that character is that heroism comes in some very surprising forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, I think that when, when you said... Um, that the author of Hebrews has been sort of a bit loose with scripture in the previous chapters, which I'd agree on. The one thing he's not been loose on is the fact that the heroes of faith had flaws in the previous ah, chapters. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that, that seems to be something that's drawn out in a fair bit of detail. Um, you know, God saved the Israelites. Well, how did that go? Well, they didn't even make it into the promised land, did they? It's not actually explicitly stated in the book of Hebrews, and I think the argument in Hebrews would be stronger if it was, but Moses wasn't allowed mm. in either. So, and certainly Moses is referred to in that context of people not being allowed into the promised land. Um, priests. Well, the priests didn't do that well. They had to sacrifice for their own sins as well, didn't they? So it's sort of like um, the the book's been quite realistic to date. Um so I don't know, I'm trying to think, I mean, where's the conclusion? Where is this taking us to? Where, where this is taking us to is that um, we ought also have faith in God. Um, so I'm not quite sure whether the author is deliberately overstating stuff to make some point by contrast, or whether the author is inviting us to say, oh, well, actually, these people weren't. Mm. as awesome as all that and whether that lends itself to an argument I can't see exactly how it well, does now you perhaps um, need to go to the end of the chapter um, because there are lots of examples <laughs> uh, and we haven't gone anywhere near where I thought this discussion would go because there's about <laughs> yeah. 12 weeks or more of discussion in Hebrews 11 itself um, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it really does seem to me and this is one of the things that I wanted to draw out of Hebrews chapter 11 and our discussion about it. If you go to the end, verse 32 and following, uh, he's gone through Abraham, Isaac, uh, Joseph, Noah and Enoch uh, earlier, um, and and Moses, um, and the walls of Jericho, and Rahab. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and, then he, and then he says, and I don't have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson, uh, if we're talking about perfect heroes of faith, yeah. um, uh, let, let's talk about Gideon as a hero of faith. I'm going to make it very. This, I'm going to require the most significant, uh, yeah. you know, sign Gide- that Gideon, I can possibly yeah, the, get. The, um, if we're talking about Samson, scientist. we're yes. certainly not talking about somebody who's perfect. If we're talking about David, neither are we. If we're talking about Samuel, um, uh, not. Uh, 
also with his, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice. I like that fact that through faith these imperfect people administer justice. Um, I, I like to take yeah. some encouragement in my vocation that despite my imperfections, I can. That's something I can do through faith, um, and gained what was promised. So they are the ones they had faith and they gained what was promised, but. And, and shut the mouths of lions, so that's clearly reference to Daniel and quench the fury of the flames, and that's his three friends, um, uh, all those other things that happened, um, uh, and got got back there dead to life again. Even um, uh, that's that's in a sense uh, to be contrasted with verse thirteen, where all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And that's clear in Abraham in the description of Abraham because he went to the promised land and he lived in a tent, even though what he was looking for was uh, the city with whose foundations were built and designed by God. Um, and none of mm. these people, if you look at all of them, none of them got what they were by faith looking for. Um, and yet there then are some mm. who do get by faith what they're looking for, rout foreign armies and do that. But there are others who by faith were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection, faced jeers and flogging. Others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two, put to, goodness gracious, uh, put to death by the sword, <laughs> went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. I think the one lesson that we can take from all of that is that there is nothing about faith which is going to lead to a safe and comfortable existence. Um, and neither is there anything about faith which actually means that you will see, at least in this life, um, uh, the object of mm. your faith brought to fruition, that you personally will see it. Um, uh and, and indeed, it's said in verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So even though some, their faith worked and shut the mouth of lions, some it didn't work, they were sawed in two. Um, it didn't work in mm. that sense. Certainly none of them actually received what was promised because what's promised is something different to that. Um, uh, so... God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So there's an mm. incompleteness. There's the imperfection that they all have. And this is what is being drawn out about all of them. So sure, they some of them receive some things, uh, but they're all looking for something more. And it was all incomplete. Uh, and it is only... and, and what they see and what they saw um, was not something that was perceived with their eyes. Um, uh, indeed, it's said in verse uh, 27 about Moses, uh, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. So it wasn't hmm. something that was that was perceived with the senses, if you like. It was an interpretive act that they were involved in. And again, that's clear when we even start in verse 2. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And I would turn it around also and say, the fact is that uh, 
there is a greater reality, um, both in terms of the creation of what is seen from those things that are unseen, and you can talk about quantum physics and 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 how even there's an interpretive act. Um, I don't know that anybody's actually seen an atom or even seen a subatomic particle. What you've seen is the effects of that, um, and and so then you it's so that what is made, what is seen, is made out of the things that aren't visible, but then also what is real and what brings and and what we're looking for is also something that is made out of what is seen so it's it itself is something that is in, invisible so there, there's this invisible um uh, not perceived with the senses so much as interpreted with uh the eyes that see and the ears that hear um they're different they're mm. eyes of the heart and ears of the heart um so the, and, and and the mind so it's part of an interpretive um uh, process and I think that this is what faith is. Uh, faith is something beyond just the physical perception. Uh, faith is a way of seeing. It's a way of interpreting. It's a way of understanding, um, and that's what is being commended. Mm. And that is something that comes to fruition uh, over generations, as it did for Abraham, um, and. Uh, over eons, as in fact it does uh, for uh, God's purpose in the world that works its way through the history of the Israelites into the Christian era and beyond. Um, so, uh, and and it's only together with all of us that we made perfect. I'm not sure I've expressed that as clearly as I would like to have, but uh, I've done it with passion nonetheless. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, then I like it, it must be true. I like it, Ken. <laughs> I, I want to just, I want to just draw, see if we can get some some other translations to pull out something. There is something interesting here in verse two. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. I'm reading the New Living Translation. That's at the very top of this chapter. Right at the very end of this chapter. In verse thirty-nine, all of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. That's the same idea. It's bookending mm. this chapter. So, so earned a good reputation. I think Ken, your translation that you were reading said something about they were commended, they were commended. for their faith. Yeah, it's is the it same also in the verse same two. in? Yeah, right. And, and and it's interesting to look and um, see well, what faith then is. What are they commended for? They're commended for being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So that's the starting point. And I think that's the point I was making. There's the being certain of what we hope for and, and, uh, oh, sorry, uh, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, and, and that's the interpretive act that I'm talking about. It's that trust mm. based on an, yeah. an interpretation. A few, few comments about that, Ken. When um, Galileo insisted to the people in his day that he'd seen the phases mm. of Venus, which, um, which implied a heliocentric solar system. He said, it's really clear, just come and look. I've got this telescope. You can look and see it for yourself. They said, we don't need to see it because uh, we know. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we, we have certainty over these things because of our inspired works and our faith tradition gives us full authority to decide on this issue without needing to go and look, yeah. look at it. Uh, so I think that... Um, it's good, important here to point out the difference between a statement that is converse, 
Um, all dogs have four legs. Doesn't mean everything with four mm. legs is a dog. Mm. Uh, so saying that faith does make us certain of some things we can't see doesn't mean that we can be certain of all things that we can't yes. see. Simply, be, simply because we've got faith. And it doesn't. It also doesn't mean that certain. Every time you encounter certainty, it must be faith. Uh, yeah. Oh, that is very good too. That is very good too. What it does yeah. do is raise a real epistemological dilemma. Um, uh, and I mean, I think Galileo is a wonderful example uh, because it is obvious to us uh, looking here that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Mm. The sun goes across our sky. Uh, it goes around the world. And, and when you see things that way, then it's, it's so obvious. It's not until you are confronted with a different interpretation uh, and a different possibility, mm. and you then can't go back and and see the sun rising and setting in the same way. It's not until you come up with the oh, no, in fact, it's the earth that's spinning um, uh, that creates that impression. And, and then you actually can't see things the other way. You, you can't unsee that again. And I think it's, it's, mm. it's like that with faith. Um, uh, you, 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 once you see that interpretation, and it's that sort, you can't unsee it. And it's that sort of certainty that I think is being spoken about with faith. Yeah, I... I... Well, I was going to draw attention to there seems to be another element for each of these people. So there's a certain amount, there's a sense of certainty. But and again, people read and interpret with a lot of self-projection. I'm about to say that there's a certain amount of discovery, ongoing discovery of that thing which can't be seen, that that direction of God's narrative. As uh, Abraham is perhaps one of the best examples Um you know, I understand, I pointed out his bringing Lot with him, his nephew. I understand that a lot of scholars seem to identify that Abraham was of the opinion that Lot was his legal heir through which the promise that God had made of him having many descendants and becoming a great nation would be fulfilled. And that actually does make some sense, given how much Abraham works to defend and protect Lot and yes. give Which him the best confuse me a choice. Bit because it didn't ever seem like Abraham liked Lot very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's certainly true that both that the whole package, Abraham, Sarah, um, it, it took them some time to, to get to grips with what, what became obvious as God's plan. Um, the the special promised son of Isaac, um, you know, to our our modern our modern ears, it even is weird. Of course, Abraham had many other children, so what's so special about Isaac? But that's that's clearly focused on in the story. So the first thing that I was going to say is yes, there's a certain amount of certainty, but I think that faith is a commitment to to learning more. It's a commitment to align with the direction of a narrative and expect that you will become you you will learn new things along the way. Um, so so that's slightly different from saying that it's a certainty of things that can't be seen. Um, it's actually a sort of a willingness to open up 
to that ongoing process of discovering the things that can't be seen, of learning about them. As I said, there's a certain amount of self-projection in the interpretive process, so you can yeah. you can um, you can hear that coming out here a little bit. The other interesting aspect of many of these people is that it's God chose them. That I mean, okay, he seems to be commending them for their faith. You know, Noah was the only one upright in all of the world, and God chooses to save him with a boat, and God chooses Abram, comes to Abram and says, "I want here's the mission, leave your land and your family, we're going to make a great nation of you. Um, the, even, um, even Jacob, Jacob and Esau, Esau is the twin that comes out first, and yet the designated pro- promise or blessing um, seems to be that the Abrahamic blessing is destined to is God is choosing Jacob, the son Jacob, in this in this process. We've chatted about this at length, probably a year ago in another in another podcast um, episode. So there's a there's a strange sense here, um, <coughs> in which a lot of these people, M- uh, Moses, yes, there's a certain amount of faith, um, but there's, you know, did did Moses turn away from the the all of the glory and riches of of egypt because of a decision of faith or did he run away scared because he'd killed an egyptian i think the answer might be yes and yes (laughs) but it's still definitely yes to the second part um and then god comes with the burning bush to choose him 40 years after that he doesn't want to go lot yeah yeah so there's a strange sense here in which these people even as this chapter is outlining and recounting a list of the heroes of faith, for so many of them, it's not necessarily some uh, citation yeah. for a great well, and amazing capability that they had. It's yeah. really partly a recognition of, for whatever reason, in whatever way, at that moment in God's story, he came and chose that person. and And because... Even some of them, though they did it reluctantly, they 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 opened up to God's choice, to God's choosing, yeah. to God's commissioning for for a role. That that's something that I think we can uphold them as heroes I, I of faith. I think that's for. one aspect of it. I think there's another aspect of it, and I think it's really important to look at what the the hinge point before you go into the examples is. Uh, and he gives one example of Enoch. He then creates. He's then st- the author. Then states the, the the hinge point, if you like, and then goes on to give example after example after example after example. Uh. And it's Hebrews eleven six. So in it was starting Hebrews eleven five, and and well, he's 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 gone up to Enoch, who was the first one who was taken before he died, and he was commended as one who pleased God. Ah, <laughs> one who pleased God. Now, and then verse 11 and uh, verse 6 says this, 11 verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So he yeah. had faith is what's being said there because he pleased yeah. God. And then it says this, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, let's just stop hmm. there for a moment and think about what's this... Con- I don't know, but the message that I've sometimes received is if you have faith, you will get rewarded. And so what Mm -hmm. we often think is, okay, I want to be rewarded, so I need to have faith. 
Well, what's faith? Oh, I'll go back to verse 1. Uh, it's being sure of what I hope for and certain of what we do not see. All right, well, I'm really certain. I'm geeing myself up. I'm gritting my teeth, and I'm, I'm going to be really certain about this, and I'm going to get rewarded. And so that's one thing that we do. And the other thing is we think, well, I want to be rewarded. And we think of the sort of rewards that we want. Well, what are the sort of rewards that I want? Uh, I'd like to be safe and I'd like to be secure. I'd like to be comfortable. I'd like to be wealthy. Um, uh, I'd like to have success. I'd like to be well thought of by other people. Um, I'd like like to be healthy. healthy. Um, I want to be able to do what I want. That's the reward that I seek. Mm. (laughs) Um, uh, And so Mm -hmm. I say, well, uh, okay, I've gritted my teeth and I've obtained this certainty. Now God will give me what I want. Now, that's not, in <laughs> fact, what Hebrews is saying. And all of the examples are very clear about that. And when you come to the end, it's even very cl- much clearer about that. Yeah, I don't suppose anyone wanted to be no, sworn in. No, I, I suspect that's right. Um, uh, so what is it that constitutes the faith? Uh, what is it that constitutes mm. the reward? Um, and you'll see it everywhere here. Uh, and, and, and when you look at it in this way, you can see it in all of the examples that are given. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Well, that's a precondition. Uh, that's not always an easy mm. thing to do. Uh, uh, I, 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 frank, well, frankly, I often go to church and I'm, and, and I'm getting um, uh, uh, persuaded, often not with not much success, about why this particular doctrine should be accepted as being true. Um, when I'm going to church and thinking, is God even here? Um, uh, so, you know. Well, Ken, there's, there's a very good and very long discussion to be had about what it even means to believe that God exists. Mm, mm, mm. What, a, what a, wow, I look forward to that discussion. Um, can, can, can I park it for a moment and say, he must believe and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So it seems to me that there's two elements mm. of faith, belief that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, perhaps that he's good. Um, believe that God is there and that he is good. And neither of those are necessarily easy things to accept um, at face value. But what is the reward that one receives by earnestly seeking God? Now, C.S. Lewis talks about this and he talks about there being... Uh, uh, you know, related and unrelated rewards. Um, I, I like to think of the example of a garden. If I earnestly seek a garden, um, uh, and then I, I go and I t- till the soil and put the fertilizer in and plant the seeds and water it, and uh, uh, and then and then the, the the reward that I get is is a garden. Um, if I earnestly seek God, what is the reward? Well, it seems the reward is not. Safety. Uh, the reward is not mm-hmm. comfort. The reward is not seeing the things that have been promised. What is the reward? The reward of earnestly seeking God is God. Mm. I, I I like that. The, the focusing on the reward. Um, the author of Hebrews. Here, I'm just looking for the verse. It specifically identifies the a, a resurrection life as being part of this thing that they were looking forward to, confidently looking forward to. 
Um, uh, it's verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Perhaps? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the, I wanted to draw attention to that specifically because um, a, a comment I've heard and made in in occasions past is is the the development throughout biblical narrative of the idea of of resurrection and there's certainly pl- plenty of chunks of the old testament where that's that's not clearly articulated as the as the reward it doesn't seem to be a vivid um part of the of the cultural idea so there's a certain stretching of things here um but but they were really concerned about their um I suppose the 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 continuation of their legacy, you know, the they're being promised to be cut, your descendants will be a great nation. That's that's a big deal. That's your your legacy will live on. So, and this is something that even um, that doesn't even require a tangible picture of resurrection. Um, you can still have a, a a desire for and a picture of some continuing ongoing legacy something some aspect of you remains you know in in a certain sense you remain uh, honored in the memory of those that follow that's that's not the same as living forever as we tend to picture it but it is a kind of um uh, connection to that so yeah the i i think ken you're drawing attention to the reward being being god um and and some alignment with god that that is rewarding um yeah i like that uh like i'm gonna pick up a theme from earlier on and put a different spin on it um you talked to verse 39 and you compared some um translations um obviously the message is not a translation it's a paraphrase um, but this is what it says at the closing part of the chapter in the message. Uh, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what God had promised. And <clears throat> there's a couple of senses in which something can be exemplary. Ah. <laughs> uh, I think the sentiment here is the one that you ex- express concern with, that these, these people are just awesome. Um, mm. that's, that's the sentiment on face value. Um, but uh, you can have negative as well as positive examples. Uh, so it's possible for something to be exemplary and for it mm. to be... Exemplary is not a, is not a yeah. uh, commendation. It's... it's um, <clears throat> It's well, I find I find it comforting to think that, okay, if I am going to be slightly critical of let's let's pick on Abraham because he he mm. can probably t- cope with that. He's he's big and tough. Um, if it seems that he struggled to comprehend the magnitude of the story God was trying to write, and it, it took him a while to catch on, it took him a while to pick up on the tune that God was singing, right? And yet, if he can still be upheld as an example of a life lived in faith or by faith or through faith in alignment with God, then um, that's, that's quite a good example. He, yeah. he didn't always get it right, yeah. but he kind of had a bit of a determination to stick with it and to remain open 
and to yeah. learn new things along the way. And I think genuinely he does end up being a bit of a hero of faith for that reason. At, 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 yes, by the end. Yeah, but even, yeah. And so uh, let's suppose a conversation that goes something like this. The book of Hebrews says, um, oh, think of all these fantastic heroes of faith. Think about Abraham. And then uh, Locke says, oh, but Abraham wasn't that good. He, he made lots of mistakes. And I think an appropriate rejoinder to that would be, actually, you're right. There were some parts where, where Abraham trusted God and there were some parts when he didn't. And which parts, when you look back on the story and the impact that it had on the world and the way it played out over the subsequent generations, which of those parts are identified by their consequences as the best lived life? <laughs> And you say, you say, all right, well, you know, these other people, um, Samson, um, Samson wasn't yeah. perfect. Ah, oh, actually, you're right. But which parts of his life are the ones that you look on and you say, yeah, that's the sort of life that means something. Um, and I, th- I think that that's the point that might be being made here. Uh, it's less, it's less that they were uniformly heroes of faith, but the parts mm. of their life which were most heroic have a one-to-one correspondence with the parts of their life where they exercised faith. Yeah. Right, so it's, it, it, it can be understood slightly similar to, you know, King David is famously described um, at one point as being a man after God's own heart. And, and I, I like to point out, well, actually, that description of David is made when he's quite a young person. <laughs> um, what I mean by that is there are certainly parts of the story of David where he does not seem to be following quite so closely after God's heart. But that doesn't mean there's no parts of the story where where David is, um, and and we probably shouldn't expect. No, and the point is, uh, getting back to this idea of something being an example, is it's actually a much more powerful example to to tell a story about someone, and you say, all right, so they did X, and it led to Y, and they did A, and it led to B. And, all right, so looking back on that now, in light of a fairly wide spectrum of, of different attitudes at play and different levels mm. of selfishness and different levels of generosity and different levels of honesty and different levels of trust in God, just look at that, that broad canvas now and put a circle around the bit that you say, yeah, that's a good life. Um, and the, that bit is the part where they exercised faith. Mm. All right. I'm finding that I'm a slightly more comfortable with Hebrews 11, and I think we're getting close Mission, to where we're Mission going to need to finish this episode. Job done, everyone. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> but there is one thing that I want to point out. Um, verse 39, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Hebrews 11 does go to some lengths to point out that just because you have faith doesn't mean you will earn a good reputation. It seems to imply that some of the people who were jeered at and who died by stoning, and who were cut in half, may be stories we don't even know. This is certainly the way I'm, I'm feeling it. Well, they, they, this is not a detailed interpretation, it's a feeling. Of the writing. And this is a way yeah, of connecting the, those events and individuals who were, who mm, were murdered that's good, with the, the, the heroes of faith from the yeah. past. And putting them I, in the I suspect same you're right. Category. That's the sense I get from it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I think what I'm what I'm wanting to just focus on is that it's not possible 
It's not possible to look at someone and see and and claim, oh, I can see that you lack faith because you're not getting a Moses story or a Noah story or a Joseph story. Um, you know, I, I can look at you. You appear to be getting cut in half. What's wrong with you? You know, to get some get some faith, pray harder. Um, I think it's helpful to be to be just be reminded there are people who who it says but others others in this same category of of example exemplary heroes of faith however we're interpreting that to be um, but others in that same category end up being essentially unknown because they got cut in half or they got um, put in chains and in prison they died in prison. They had the first half of Joseph's story without without the the second mm. half, um, so that's really helpful because it is painfully easy to turn this whole faith um, and and results of faith into a sort of a, a quirky mechanism of judgment. Oh, you know, well, you know, what's what's wrong with you? There, you know, what sin have you caused? Which is the to converse of the prosperity <laughs> gospel. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. That's true. Which means that it's um, part of the prosperity gospel. Mm. The prosperity gospel <laughs> implies that if you're not mm. prosperous, it's because you lacked faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just to be clear to everybody who's listening, the prosperity gospel is a massive pile of bull poo. <laughs> it certainly, it certainly is it is inconsistent with Hebrews eleven. Um, that's for sure. Yeah, not just Hebrews yeah. 11. <laughs> I would say the entirety of the book. Yeah. Well, getting back to Ken's comment, um, it may be the case that the people who were um, who were heroes of faith were rewarded, whatever that reward means, but they were not trying to be rewarded. They were trying to mm. find God. That's the point. Mm-hmm. That's the point. And the students in my class, some of them very well-intentioned, who are trying to get good marks and do everything they can to be the right sort of student and adopt the right practice, never do as well as the students who actually want to learn mathematics. Mm. Hmm. Because the reward yes. of earnestly that, seeking to know mathematics is to know mathematics. Is to know mathematics, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That may be a good thought to end on. Well, if we're not going to dive into Luke's question on what does it mean to believe in God, well, which is a question I mean, that ought to be dived into, but I'm eyeing the clock. If, um, if you've got another we'll, two hours, we, we could make to... a start. <laughs> yeah. um, um, unfortunately, yeah, well, on this occasion, I don't have those two hours. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll terminate it there. And uh, thank you to our listeners for listening in to our discussion. And... Uh, Feel free to share this podcast with anyone who you feel uh, would, would benefit or in, enjoy it. And um, you can send us comments, if so you wish, to the email address uh, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Actually, we did get a comment lock. Oh, it was I must from have been me. too busy this week to notice it. It was from me because I remembered something that I wanted to say in the recording and I thought I must not forget that and I will remember it by sending a comment to the email address. But having uh -huh. been out of action for two weeks, I haven't read the email address and I've clean forgotten what the comment was. <laughs> um, and it's probably relevant now to an episode that was a long time ago. Um, uh -huh. 
so so we do we do we do follow that inbox um but yeah <laughs> sometimes not obviously forget. over the last two weeks yeah but do do send an email uh through mm. if you have it and join us again next week and because we love your company and uh and uh, we hope that these conversations are uh, interesting and helpful